It's great to be with you once again. You know, it's, um, I was just thinking, uh, coming along uh, once a year, it's like a, um, a time delay photograph. Um, <coughs> those of us who are older never change, but uh, your kids are really growing up. It's amazing. I, I think I've been coming here in the month of May for about 12 years probably, I think, maybe. And uh, just watching your, your kids growing up and the, the kids that went to Port Augusta and and seeing how involved they are, it's, it's, uh, it's fantastic uh, to see that. You don't see it because you're, they're, they're growing up all the time amongst you, but just coming in once a year and getting that snapshot, it's, uh, it's really very encouraging. So good on you. You're doing a good job <coughs> with, uh, with those who are around you. Um, <coughs> I want to talk to you about uh, some, some of the themes coming out of Hebrews <coughs> and uh, continuing on the, the series that I, I know you've already started and uh, we'll continue on after, uh, after I've been here for the, the month of May. Uh, Hebrews was written to persuade people that the Christian way of thinking uh, was not cultic, um, but it was the new mainstream. There were some people in the church, especially in Jerusalem, uh, who were known as Judaizers. And uh, the church in Jerusalem was, was undergoing intense persecution at this particular time and the, the Judaizers were a movement within the church who uh, were teaching uh, that people had to convert to Judaism, they had to become Jews uh, before they could experience all of the benefits uh, that God had for them. Uh, this was a very attractive possibility in the context of the persecution because uh, it's, it's very possible that if the church became just a, another uh, expression of Judaism then perhaps some of the persecution would stop because much of it, not all of it, but much of it was because of the uh, growing realisation of the separation between the Christian faith known as the way and, uh, and, and that of uh, the Jewish faith in the time and a lot of persecution came about because of that. So if, the, uh, if, if in some way uh, the, the, the Christian faith could be seen as more identified with Judaism and in, 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 in fact a particular expression of it or if you like a sect of it, maybe that, would, uh, <coughs> maybe that would stop some of the persecution and in the intensity of the persecution in Jerusalem in those days uh, that would have been a very attractive uh, possibility. Um, but uh, Hebrews is written uh, to persuade uh, the people in the church that, uh, that this uh, must not be, uh, that, uh, that, that the Christian faith is not just some uh, cultic expression and it needs to have something added to it to make it the real thing, but in fact it in, in and of itself is uh, the new mainstream. This is what God is doing in our midst is what uh, Hebrews is written about. Uh, it was also ad addressed to Jewish audiences who obviously were deeply entrenched in their Hebrew thought and uh, oftentimes were struggling to feel faithful uh, to their roots in their adoption of the way. Uh, are we really, you know, they've been brought up in, uh, in, in all of this uh, Jewish teaching and are we being true, uh, to, are, are we being faithful uh, to the teachings that we have had thus far? 
Or if in following the teachings of the way, the Christian faith, are we actually denying something that we shouldn't be denying? And so they're deeply entrenched in Hebrew thought, which is you know, that's good, that's what they should have been. Uh, but they were struggling to, uh, to, to know whether it was okay uh, to be Christian and to adopt some of the Christian teachings that were seen to be different uh, to, um, uh, to, to the Hebrew uh, teaching. And this was especially in the area of the whole sacrificial system, uh, which uh, the high priesthood and the priesthood was closely tied to. This, this was proving to be an incredibly difficult task uh, for uh, the leaders of the church in, in this day. It would be like somebody today trying to convince us uh, that their new way of thinking was a fulfilment uh, and in fact an extension of the truths that we have believed for so long. It would be like somebody coming in here and saying, what you've got so far is really good and I congratulate you but I want to tell you that there is something more that God has for you today and you're missing out on it uh, if, uh, if, if, if you don't follow it. Uh, you're missing out on it if you don't understand my way of adding to this. It's an incredibly difficult task that the book of Hebrews uh, has in, in doing this. And, and, and this sort of uh, addition to uh, the... Uh, uh, the doctrine of the church has happened over the centuries of Christian thought in many different ways. From the Gnostics in the New Testament, uh, the Gnostics were, were based on the Greek word gnosis, knowledge, uh, came into the church and said, we, we have extra knowledge. You've come so far and that's really good. And John, in his writings, was attacking uh, what became uh, known as the heresy of the Gnostics, of Gnosticism that you're doing a good job so far but we've got knowledge and, and this knowledge can be added to what you've already got and it will make you uh, so much more able to benefit uh, from all of what God has for you. So the Gnostics in the New Testament and, and then in the 20th century and in, in recent church history uh, what became known as the historical Jesus movement, the idea of demythologising the Gospels, of getting down to just a few uh, texts of the words of Jesus and so forth. And this was another uh, um, a teaching that said we have all knowledge. It was like a new Gnosticism in many ways. And, uh, and, and fortunately, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the mainline church has been able to stand against these things and recognise them as heresy. And, uh, and Hebrews was written to convince the church of the day uh, that, um, that, that what we're teaching is not heresy. It's not one of those added extras. It's not like Gnosticism. It's not like the historical Jesus movement. It's, it's not something that we're trying to add to you. It's really what God is doing today. And they had a very difficult task. One of the major tenets of Christian thought that had to be defended was the priesthood of Christ the priesthood of Christ, the fact that Christ in himself, in his person and in his work has fulfilled the, 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 the whole theology and doctrine around the priesthood. And that's what the text this morning uh, is, is dealing with. So it's Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 through to 5 verse 10 that's been read out to us already and I thank you for that. So let me first of all give an overview of those verses. <clears throat> First of all, 
in uh, chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 it talks about how Jesus is the great high priest and it says there that the high priest is characterised by, by certain uh, things uh, and, and, and he lists some of them. Empathy is one of them. The great high priest, uh, there's empathy. He feels into your weaknesses. He knows what it's like uh, to, uh, 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 for, for you to be experiencing the tough times and the temptations and even the failures. He knows what it is like. He feels into our empathy. But uh, here's a whole high priest who was faithful. He never sinned himself and so he was truly faithful uh, to, uh, uh, to his holiness and to the calling that he received. It also says in those verses that the, the great high priest, Jesus, is highly approachable. So we're able to approach him uh, because he feels into our weaknesses, uh, because he understands and he knows he has empathy, then we're able to approach him. He is an approachable high priest. And when we approach him, we're going to find that he is merciful and that he is grace-filled. Merciful, basically kindness is what mercy is all about. We're going, as we approach this great high priest, this Jesus who is our high priest, uh, we're going to discover that he is filled with kindness. Uh, even in our weaknesses, even in our sinfulness as we approach the great high priest, we will discover that he is filled with kindness. He wants to be kind to us and that he is filled with grace and grace is just such a, such a powerful, um, uh, complex word and it carries so much with it but probably the idea of unconditional love and acceptance uh, is probably what um, characterises grace more than anything else. And so we're told here that as you approach, uh, approach this, this uh, great high priest, Jesus, that you will find that he is filled with kindness, unconditional love and acceptance, even in the midst of the weaknesses and the failings uh, that you are experiencing at this time. That's the characteristics of <coughs> Jesus as the great high priest as seen in chapter 4. We then move into chapter 5 verses 1 to 4 and we see that the role of the high priest is there uh, given to us. It says that the high priest, and this is not necessarily referring to Jesus specifically in these verses, it's trying to give you uh, um, uh, an understanding of what the high priest role is all about, that Jesus fulfilled. So the high priest is selected from among the people. He's not somebody from outside. He's not somebody who belongs somewhere else. But he is selected from among the people, it says there. And he is appointed to represent the people before God. How does he represent us? How does he represent uh, the, the, the believers, the, the, the Jewish uh, people? Well, he's there a, a strategic... Uh, in, the, in the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system in, in, in the Jewish uh, religion was the way of overcoming uh, the problem that, that my life is sin-filled, uh, that my life uh, is filled with weakness and failings and the sacrificial system enables uh, God to pour his, his grace and his mercy, his kindness into me. And so the priest in the Old Testament religion is there to offer sacrifices on behalf of himself because he too has these weaknesses and these imperfections. Remember, we're not talking about Jesus at this particular point. We're talking about the, the, the priesthood per se. 
And, uh, and he too has his own weaknesses and failings and so he offers sacrifices on behalf of himself and the people of God, according to chapter 5. Uh, he was an intermediary between the people and God. He would, he would stand in the gap and he would uh, plead on behalf of the people uh, to God. And he, along with the sacrificial system, was absolutely essential in the Jewish religious system. Uh, to suggest a major change, like what Hebrews is suggesting, like what the Christian faith is suggesting, to suggest a major change in this system of the priest and the sacrificial system, even perhaps seen as an overthrowing of that, was a really frightening concept. What if we believe what these Christians are telling us about Jesus fulfilling this and about him being the sacrifice? What if we believe that and they're wrong? Then we don't have have a leg to stand on. We can't stand before God if we've thrown out uh, the, the, the priest, the priesthood and the sacrificial system to go with your new teaching and we find out that you're just another sect and you're, you're on your way somewhere or other else, what have we got left? And so that was the really frightening thing to them. So what's at stake here in this teaching, in, in, in these chapters in Hebrews, is really, really important stuff. It's really important stuff. It's like a church being on, on, on the edge and just trying to decide which way will we go and it, to them it, it was a matter of life and death. It was very important stuff. Um, we also find in chapter 5 that the, the role of the high priest was to deal empathically and gently with the people who were doing it tough, with the people who were in their weaknesses and their failings, with the people of God who were doing it tough. They weren't to come in with a big you know, hammer. They, they, they weren't that sort of uh, people who were going to pour down wrath and, and fire of God and so forth. They were instead people who were to be among the, the priests, who were to be among the people uh, with empathy, with an understanding of what they're going through and why they're going through it and to deal gently with them. And that's what it says in chapter 5. And to identify with the people in their, in their sinfulness. It also says there that the priest is not self-appointed but the priest has a calling of God and it was actually those who were inherited, uh, inherited in, the, in the line of Aaron who were appointed priests. And so uh, Hebrews there in the first few verses of chapter 5 uh, are telling us what is the role of the priesthood. And then in verses 5 to 10 of chapter 5 it applies this to Christ. It says that uh, Christ was not self-appointed, just as the priesthood is not self-appointed. He was called by God. He was called by the Father into this role. But there is a bit of a difference here. He's not in the line of Aaron. He's not in the line of the priests as the Jews were expecting it to be, but he's actually in the line of Melchizedek. Uh, Melchizedek, we could talk for, forever about uh, you know, various theories and the person and the work of Melchizedek and all the rest. Um, but uh, Mel- Melchizedek is, uh, is somebody that pops up in the Old Testament. We'll get back to this in a minute. And, uh, and, and he is uh, somebody who is very handy, let's say, uh, for Hebrews to grab a hold of and say, God actually is doing something different. But I'll come back to that in just a moment. In chapter 5 it says that the, uh, the, the, 
the role of the high priest as Christ fulfilled it was fulfilled in his prayer uh, for the people, interceding on their behalf. Uh, it was uh, fulfilled in his identification and his empathy as he learned obedience through suffering and then as he became the source of salvation for the people. He sacrificed himself and he was uh, not only the priest offering the sacrifice but he became the sacrifice itself and he gave of himself as the perfect Lamb of God. So that's a summary, that's an overview of those two passages in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Now, let me just highlight a couple of points uh, that come up along the way and then we'll draw some conclusions for today. Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a king in the Old Testament at the time of Abram and he played a a priestly role with Abram. This comes up in uh, Genesis 14. Now, there are many theories and many interpretations that surround the person and the role of Melchizedek, um, which certainly make interesting reading. Uh, But the main teaching here in Hebrews is that God can work outside the box. That's the main teaching related to Melchizedek, that God can work outside the box. If people are saying that, no, Jesus is not the high priest because he's not in the line of Aaron, he doesn't have this inherited right... Uh, Hebrews is saying, well, wait just a minute. Now, God's not locked into a whole lot of legalities. God can actually work outside of this little box that you've created. And, uh, for instance, he did uh, in the person of Melchizedek. So this, uh, this um, uh, rather uh, sh- shadowy figure from the Old Testament is pulled out and used as an example of God working outside of the box. And that's the main teaching that I think really is important for us today because God is certainly a God who is faithful and works according to all of that he has set up but he does some magnificent things that are way outside of what we demand that he works as. God works outside the box. And uh, and I think that's what Hebrews is trying uh, to say here. One of the other things that I think pops up or comes up through this teaching is how important empathy, approachability, mercy and grace are in the person of the high priest. And this is to be found in Jesus. This is such a comforting factor for us uh, when we regard the, um, the, the truthfulness that Jesus is the perfect priest, that he's never failed, he's never sinned. That would be a really frightening thing. You know, anybody who thinks they're perfect I think are really frightening people. <laughs> uh, people who, who think they've got, got their act together, people who think they're doing everything right, they're very unteachable and they're really quite frightening people to be around because they're judgmental, they're very judgmental. And you, you're somebody who thinks they've got their act together and doing things perfectly, you'd, you'd never go to them and share your own vulnerabilities. You'd never go to them and share your own weaknesses. And so the really risky thing, the, 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 the frightening thing is that Christ is the perfect high priest. He's never sinned. He's never, he's never done that. Well, you know, how can we go to him? He might not understand. And Hebrews says, well, the good news is that he really does. He, he's a high priest who's never failed. He's never sinned. But he's a high priest who is known by, he's characterised by empathy. 
He feels with you. He is among you. He knows what it's like to be tempted. doesn't know what it's like to fail, but he is empathic. He has got empathy with you. He, um, he's approachable. People who think they're perfect are not approachable people. Jesus is perfect and, and, and very approachable. And he's got mercy, kindness, he's got grace, unconditional love and acceptance. Those are very important things for us to know about Christ when we recognise that he is in fact the perfect uh, high priest. To be reassured that Christ is a priest with all of these qualities is a great relief, enabling us to approach God confidently in our deepest need. Now, <clears throat> Hebrews enters into this debate, if you like. Uh, the, uh, the Judaizers were saying, no, 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 you've you, you got to come back into the sacrificial system and the priesthood. And Hebrews is saying, no, we don't. Christ is our great high priest. And this is the great teaching. And Hebrews won the, won the argument, if you like. And Christianity was preserved from the heresy of the Judaizers. This was an, a very important victory because under, under threat were a number of key proponents. For example, the, the person and work of Christ himself. Uh, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrificial death, that was under threat uh, in, in all of this teaching. The finality, the fact that it doesn't have to happen again, the once for allness of the sacrifice that we've celebrated here today, doesn't have to happen again. That was, that was at risk. The adequacy of faith in this over works for salvation. That was, that was at risk. So in this very argument that we're talking about here, there was a whole lot that we hold very dear in the Christian faith that was at stake. And we need to hold on to that very clearly. But you know what, just in, in wrapping it up and finishing up for this morning, there's one aspect of the, uh, uh, the priesthood that oftentimes we... Um, we, we, we don't dwell upon. It's oftentimes said that a prophet is, represents God to the people and a priest represents the people to God. Well, that's very true, but it's typical uh, Western Greek thinking to divide things up like that and have nice little boxes <laughs> that we put people into. And the priest was certainly somebody whose task was to stand in the gap and to go to God and of course we no longer need somebody to go to God for us. That's, that's the whole point about Christ being our high priest, that Christ is standing in the gap and we approach, we approach God directly because of Christ. That's the teaching that is here in Hebrews. Extremely important that we, you know, the, the, the curtain was cut in two and we are able to move into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence, uh, the, the closeness of God's presence because of Christ and his high priesthood. But there's also the teaching of the priesthood of all believers that, that we are all known as priests. It comes up in First Peter chapter 2 that we are priests who are able to move directly into the presence of God because of our priesthood, but that we're also called as the priesthood of all believers to represent God to one another. Just as the priest in the Old Testament didn't only have the job of representing the people to God, he also had the job of representing God to the people. 
He too was called to have empathy and compassion and grace and mercy, kindness, unconditional love. That was the role of the priest so that God could be communicated, expressed, experienced by the people of God. And so in us, in the truth of of what the scripture, what the New Testament teaches about all of us being priests and that magnificent position that we have uh, and that we're able to march boldly and confidently directly into the presence of God because we are the priesthood in Christ so we are called to that other aspect of priesthood and that is representing God to one another. And so as we experience in Christ empathy, a a, a determined attitude to understand what people are going through, as we long for that and receive that from Christ, so are we called to offer it to one another. Empathy to walk with one another as priests of God. As we experience grace and kindness and mercy from God and we long for it and we're so relieved when we receive it, so we are too called to walk with one another in grace and in mercy, kindness, in unconditional love and acceptance. You get the point, don't you? that we are called not only to enjoy the benefits of being priests and enjoy the benefits of being in Christ, but we are called to pass those benefits on that others, not only the people of God, but that others in our neighbourhood will experience how great, how wonderful God really is and that he really had his plan perfected in Christ. And what we read of in these chapters of Hebrews is just a sampling of the fact that God knew what he was doing. (laughs) It doesn't take us by surprise, but it's really nice to be reminded of that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you with, with all our heart and with all of our mind. We thank you with all of who we are that you have seen fit to perfect your plan of salvation and that we have experienced that, the wonder of your kindness towards us in Christ. Thank you, God. Father God, we then pray that you would help us to do well in honouring other people around us with that sort of empathy and mercy and grace and love. That people that people around us, people sitting next to us here in this church and people in our families and people in our neighbourhoods and our workplaces, that people will experience how great you really are, how wonderfully kind you are. Thank you for the privilege of giving us uh, that responsibility. Thank you for the privilege of being called to be uh, your priests. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.